Hello, homies, and welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we speak with homeopath and researcher Sabina Vatter, who also has a PhD in psychology. Sabina works at the Harvard Homeopathic Clinic in Sydney. She grew up in a bilingual family in Estonia and received homeopathy throughout her childhood and adulthood, thanks to having a mum who is also a homeopath and medical doctor. Having repeatedly seen how wonderful homeopathy is in various acute and chronic conditions, she decided to take a step forward from psychology and train as a homeopath in England. At the same time, she completed her PhD in medicine, specializing in clinical psychology at the University of Manchester. Sabina currently works in psycho-oncology research and regularly publishes book chapters and articles in academic peer-reviewed journals in areas of cancer, Parkinson's disease, dementia, and care partnerships. She is a research integrity officer at the Oran Project and an active member in the Oran Project in Sydney and the Society of Homeopaths Research Committee in the UK. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies. Today, we get to hang out with homeopath and researcher Sabina Vatter, all the way from Sydney via a few other countries. <laughs> Welcome, Sabina. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to have you on. And you've got such an incredible resume. I can't wait to dig into all of it. But before we get cracking, tell us about your journey to homeopathy. So I'm actually um, born into a family where my mom is a homeopath. I was born in Estonia and my mom, she's a medical doctor. When she moved to Estonia, she didn't speak a word of Estonian. And so she had a couple of different tasks going on, learning Estonian, raising me, raising my sister. But she suddenly came across this ad which mentioned homeopathy. And she didn't know what it was, but she was kind of captivated by, you know, what is this? Like, so she went to a lecture and she immediately knew that this is what she wanted to do. And she started training as a homeopath. And Estonia is a very small country. It's a country of 1 million people, 1.3 and there was no real opportunities to study homeopathy. So initially she learned with books, she learned with lectures, she later went to Moscow in Russia to train in colleges there, and she studied with Vitulkas in Greece. And so yeah. it's really, really wonderful how she just, I remember her seeing, reading all those books, like she was so passionate about this. And She's helped thousands and thousands of people in those last 30 years. And so when I was little, I just knew that that's something that's, that I want to do. Um, it was more about the question how I could do this and where I could study. And it's just amazing. Like I've never needed any medications. I've never needed to be hospitalized. The homeopathy was always there for any acute and chronic um, illnesses and symptoms. Amazing. And she just happened to have named you after a very well-known homeopathic remedy. <laughs> so it happens. It's, it wasn't planned, <laughs> but it's nice to know that I, it is true. Like that's what I say to many fellow homeopaths as well. If they forget my name, then I'm named after a remedy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wonderful. So what made you decide to become a homeopath? Because you've also got a PhD. So maybe talk to us about how that all came about as well. And how you then decided to become a homeopath? Yeah, so from a young age, I knew I wanted to uh, work with people, help them. And so I know a lot of people would say that whoever goes into psychology, but I, I discussed with my mom and she just said, look, you know, to study homeopathy, you really need some life experience. 
And because I grew up in sort of healthy environment, a healthy family, all that, I didn't really have the kind of experience of ill health. And I just decided I'll study psychology because psychology is the closest thing that's related to homeopathy. And so while I was studying psychology in Estonia, I completed my bachelor and my master's. I got into research and it started to fascinate me more and more. And back then, my boyfriend was in academia and he said, why don't you consider undertaking a PhD? And knowing Estonia is a, is a great country, but also limited in terms of what we can do and in terms of research funding, I moved to the UK. And one of the reasons um, when I was choosing where to live was looking for colleges as well. And I started my PhD in 2015. And I started the college around the same time. So actually, I was doing both full-time. Well, homeopathy was part-time, but it was definitely a couple of years full-on. And I was very, very passionate about learning all about research and keep going with studies and publish and going to conferences and really getting those experiences because it's so, so valuable um, to be doing those um, different research studies, helping people. But homeopathy was always in my heart. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was only a matter of time uh, when I could study. So that's mm -hmm. how I got into it. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel your skills in psychology has helped your homeopathic practice? It's a really, really interesting one because I haven't really um, worked as a psychologist. I worked a little bit online with teenagers when I was in Estonia, but I just feel like it has helped me so much with holding space with clients and being the kind of supportive and listening and empathetic and all those skills. It was really helpful it's right now it's very helpful for me in, in consultations with clients and so it's definitely um it's definitely taught me quite a lot for sure yeah I've always thought that uh, the two just go together so beautifully psychology and homeopathy because I've never been to a psychologist but obviously lots of my clients have and I think it's such an incredibly valuable modality it's so helpful but I think where homeopathy really has that upper hand is that you actually get to give somebody something at the end of it, which is going to just magically change their energy and start putting things into place. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Exactly. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I feel psychology is amazing and it helps so many people work through their issues. And essentially, that's what a psychologist does. It's putting sort of those questions in the person's, you know, helping the person work through their own issues, but helping along uh, in the journey. Mm -hmm. But I feel like homeopathy is almost like a sped up psychology in the sense that we get through so much in the first consultation with clients um, and we are able to give a remedy that can actually make a difference after they've left the session because, we, as we know, homeopathy is deep acting. And so I, I feel that it's just so wonderful to be able to offer them something else when they leave the door and when they go away mm -hmm. and continue doing their life. And it's just, I feel like it's it's a beautiful thing to have in place. And, and also because, as we know, homeopathy is helping not only with mental and emotional, but also this, uh, the physical symptoms that it's so highly individualized that it's just amazing to be able to do homeopathy. Mm -hmm. And tell us about the research side of things. So I think that takes a special brain to be able to <laughs> really enjoy the research side of things. What do you enjoy about it and what sort of projects have you worked on? 
Oh, it's a good question. So I started with research studies in Estonia. And when I moved to the UK, I was volunteering actually for a perinatal psychology researcher. And she said to me, why don't you present your massive thesis findings in a conference, in a local conference in the UK? And my massive thesis that I wrote in Estonia was about the women's body image and relationship satisfaction. And so it seems to have been a very topical thing to do. And so my research work was then published in all articles, all countries, media, newspapers all around the world for the findings that I did in Estonia. And so it kind of gave me a boost, you know, to keep going. Like, this is actually really cool. Like, I can make a difference. And so I got into uh, Parkinson's dementia. And my PhD focused on the impact of Parkinson's-related dementia on care partners, because we know that Parkinson's is quite a complex movement disorder. But as people get older, they also develop uh, mild cognitive impairment and dementia. And so their independence is lost, their ability to do things is lost. All those things they were used to doing, activities of daily living, they were all not able to do that. And so the care partner was there to help. But then that meant that the care partner, usually the spouse, the wife, was also putting herself in the background. And so mm. my PhD explored the impact of that uh, because mm. there's so much research in Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia, but Parkinson's disease dementia and Lewy body dementia are less known. And so there was definitely a gap in knowledge. And I was so grateful for the people I interviewed, the people I asked questions, collected data from that for the time, because they were so, so burdened with care and the help they were offering to the person they loved. And it was just really, really sad and heartbreaking. But at the same time, I was also working on a research study. Um, so my PhD and my work were connected and we developed a research therapy manual which was based on the cognitive stimulation therapy. So it was my job to put this manual together. It was a beautiful 250-page manual that these couples and uh, partners could use to talk about different um, topics. So things like travel or food or hobbies or pets or family. So it was almost like a manual to simulate their memory, their um, different senses. So we encouraged people to find objects from the past, something to encourage them to think of things from the past, because that's what they, that's something they could remember. And it was really, really good to see how they used the, the manual, because essentially it was offering something different than drugs, something mm -hmm. different than pharmacological thing. It was completely a psychosocial therapy. Uh, as we know, those don't have any side effects. And so I was very, very grateful and for the opportunity to work on the project. And mm -hmm. indeed, it actually helped the, doing this therapy, helped the care partner with the relationship mm -hmm. and uh, with burden as well. They just felt that they were connecting with the person. And so it was a Really, really good project to work on for a few years. And after that, I got into all sorts of different things. I worked in perinatal psychology for a little while. I was coding mother and baby videos. So the babies were up to six months old. And it was all about how the mother was presenting, acting, what she was saying. Was, you know, was it a positive thing? Was it negative? Sort of just trying to understand based on observation only. And so as researchers, we do have to be very objective. And it was definitely a really, um, really interesting uh, thing to work on. And I moved to Australia last year, so a month before the first lockdown. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and 
second, I knew that I'll be looking for work. And so I got into oncology research into cancer. And I worked on a couple of different projects. Last year, I worked on a project called PIGEN. So PIGEN stands for the um, Psychosocial Issues in Genomic Oncology. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed about 45 people to understand how was the response uh, after receiving genomic uh, and genetic results, Mm. because those people have all had cancer. And so the research was uh, basically letting them know whether they were at risk for another cancer or whether one of their family members was at risk. And so it's very interesting to know what somebody does with that information. And so we wanted to know um, all about the communication, their actions, their behavior, like maybe that motivates them to make some changes in their lifestyle. Um, So things like that. It was really, really interesting. And this year I'm working on a different project called ADAPT. And ADAPT is all about introducing a clinical pathway to help with the screening and management of anxiety and depression in cancer patients. And as we know, this is quite prevalent. It's quite a tough journey to go through cancer. And by creating this, developing this clinical pathway, we wanted to know how services, whether the services find it easier to actually have a platform in place, which automatically prompts them to screen those patients over time. Mm-hmm. So whether their anxiety, depression levels stay the same or whether they change. And if if they are high, then within the clinical pathway, actually, they were prompted to be referred to a specialist. And so I think those things are very cool to be able to help people and, and work with those services and nurses and oncologists to help more and more people with their emotional journey about the whole cancer thing. So definitely a very, very exciting um, field to be working in. As you're talking, I can just see your eyes are lit up. And I was thinking, I don't know if there's anyone with as much job satisfaction in their life as you, because I can see this stuff gets you so excited. Firstly, I wrote down a note here that I would love to hear what the results was of the postnatal study, because that's an area that I'm very fascinated in. So purely for selfish reasons, can you tell me a little bit more about that one? Yes, so I was uh, involved a little bit with the project. It was actually run from Glasgow and I was based in uh, Manchester. There was actually a study with several different projects and programs. I wasn't involved so much with those sides of things. So there were, uh, I think, a couple of hundred women recruited who had a baby that was up to six months old. Mm -hmm. And then they were randomized into receiving either a perinatal parenting program. Mm -hmm. I think it was called the Triple P, Positive Mm -hmm. Parenting Program, which is Mm -hmm. actually from Australia. Um, I think there was another program which was similar in terms of education. And then there was control group. So I don't quite know the results of that, sorry to say, (laughs) but... But um, it was still interesting to code because I could mm-hmm. see the differences from individually talking about how people are and if mm-hmm. they are in a parenting program, then does that actually change how they behave with their baby? Mm-hmm. Um, because those women, they were actually quite vulnerable mm-hmm. and they needed that support in place. So um, I'm happy to share the results after the <laughs> after the <laughs> interview so we can have a look and, and see how the program actually impacted those women. Um, yeah. Amazing. Because that is an area that um, I personally work with a lot in the clinic. And mm-hmm. I always joke and I say, there's no personal development program that can ever 
change you as much as becoming a parent. Like there's no way that you could ever tell somebody exactly what's going to change in their life. And for a lot of people, it's such a shock. And especially these days where the trend is to have children much later on in life. So we have, you know, successful career woman, and then they have a baby and suddenly this tiny little infant that can't even talk or walk is dictating their whole life. So it can really throw up a lot of challenges that you just never would have um, thought about. So it's very interesting. And then the Parkinson's dementia, how did you get into that side of things? And uh, I love the questions that you asked and actually thinking about the support workers, because like you said, it's not an area that's delved into very much, but it's so important. So I'm the homeopath in me is thinking, what made her get into that? Like, you know, we're always trying to find the reasons behind things. And so I'm trying to understand how your brain is working, that you've got all these fascinating things and what drives you to, to do what you do. Yeah, my journey is quite interesting. It kind of happened by chance uh, because when I moved to the UK, I was uh, looking uh, for work as a researcher and I I got a job as a researcher in a hospital and it was a geriatric ward and it was a study about confusion. So we were assessing delirium, the acute confusion, and that was my first way, my my first chance to work with uh, older adults. And so with the Parkinson's, it kind of happened, you know, there was a position available and I was successful in getting it. And and actually, I think it's amazing how it worked out. It wasn't necessarily my interest at first, but at the same time, my grandmother, she developed Alzheimer's and my granddad has Parkinson's. And so when I wrote my thesis, I dedicated my thesis to them because it's, you know, although we we were not living in the same country, it was still heartbreaking um, Mm. to see how devastating the disease is. And so um, obviously everybody's situation is so different, but more and more we see the increase in dementia and Parkinson's and complex um, illnesses. And it could be because uh, we live longer, Mm. uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean we live healthier. And so those things we couldn't have maybe seen as much dementia in the past, but mm. right now, yeah, it's definitely uh, more out there. So yeah, it's kind of happened by chance and I'm very grateful for how it happened because I was able to work with people that really needed the support because in literature, they're actually, the care partners are referred to as the hidden patients or the mm. invisible patients, because even if they went to the doctor's appointment and the geriatric doctors, psychiatrists, it was always about the person with the illness, but actually it was also about the person offering and providing the help because they were so burdened and putting their own health in the background. And so I wish I could have used homeopathy to be able to support, but it was just, it was just amazing to be there because I think a lot of doctors, they really don't have the time for the people. They are just there, you know, eight minute, 10 minute appointments. But we as researchers, we we had time for them and they could get things off their chest. So I guess that's where my psychology knowledge also came into practice as well, to be able to be there for people, just to listen to them. And I had so many, so many beautiful people who were just at their wits and they, it was mm. just too much for them. And with so little support available. Wow. I love synchronicity. So you actually started on that project before your grandparents were diagnosed? Um, So my granddad has had Parkinson's for a Mm. while. Mm. So I kind of knew a little bit about it. Mm. Uh, But of course, I learned so much more because Mm. every person is so, so individual with Mm. um, the symptoms they have. And so it was really, really interesting. And I guess I realized how complex the Parkinson's disease dementia is because Mm. not only do they have uh, 
worse memory, they're confused, they can also have a lot of hallucinations, a lot of different psychiatric symptoms, apathy, depression, they really don't have the mood for anything, they don't want to do anything, they don't want to go out, they don't want to get up. And so for the care part, that was definitely very stressful and very hard work um, to be there also 24 seven. Yeah. And it must have been quite hard for you knowing that you can't use homeopathy in those projects because I'm sure you had so many remedies that were popping in your mind and thinking, oh, it can help with this and that. For sure, for Mm. sure. But it was good because I was learning homeopathy. Um, Mm. So it was kind of a a training in the sense Mm. like also for myself because I had to be mindful how I felt afterwards because certain people affected me more than others because of their stories and how sad it was, how many, many times people were planning this beautiful retirement. And as soon as uh, the person retired, they actually started developing the symptoms of Parkinson's and all those plans that they had suddenly were gone. Yeah. Um, Now, I wonder, because this is for the general public, can you maybe just tell them a little bit about how homeopathy could help in cases like this? Yes. So the, As we all know, homeopathy is highly individualized. So whatever symptoms the person has, it's all about understanding how they experience the symptoms. So even with cases like Parkinson's, it's a very complex disease to work with, but it's all about understanding what is it that the person wants help with? What is it that is bothering them the most? Uh, Is it the side effects of medication or is it that they really feel depressed or apathetic or there's something else. So I guess it's all about understanding and working with the person about what they want help with. Mm. Uh, Because as homeopaths, we can do so much, but it's also understanding what is it that needs supporting right now and and start the journey because it's not just about the one homeopathy session and consultation. It's an ongoing journey towards better health and better well-being and quality of life. And essentially, if we can offer that, I, I think that's the most beautiful thing. Absolutely. And you just jumped straight into it as soon as you got here to Australia and joined the Aurum Project. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Aurum Project is and and what you do there and how they can contribute and become members? Yes. So the Aurum Project um, is a charity based in Sydney. It's actually next to the clinic I work in. So I work at the Harvard Homeopathic Clinic in Northern Beaches in Sydney. And so it is open for everyone, any homeopath that would like to contribute to research or learn more about the research that is out there. We also have a book barn. So there's a lot of different new books that have just arrived from Europe, from different publishers. So I guess that's a great opportunity as well to learn more and be able to access those books. And we have our research coordinator, Dr. Celeste Salter. She she has been absolutely amazing in starting a lot of different research projects and starting research pods. So we are very open to welcoming more members, more homeopaths and more researchers who are keen to develop this field further. And so I'm currently involved in two research pods. One of them is conducting a um, scoping systematic literature review. So about all of the research that has been published in Australia about homeopathy since 1990, um, including not only peer-reviewed articles from different journals, but also articles from Similia and places and magazines where us homeopaths get all the information from. 
And I think that's a really, really interesting thing to be doing because we have to constantly remind ourselves to be very objective, to do the research properly. And because I've done systematic reviews before, I have this knowledge of, you know, this is the procedure, this is how we do it. I also work on a UTI pod. So we had this idea to conduct a case series analysis and do this uh, retrospectively. So we are in uh, in progress with that. We have developed questionnaires. We have developed an expression of interest form. We are just in the process of ethics. So there's uh, it's going to be some exciting news coming up. And apart from that, there's also a molluscum skin pod. We also have the, the Australian, I think it was the first survey that was completed and it was presented in the HRI conference in London, as well as in New Zealand. Uh, in a different conference, but it's all about taking the step further from that. So now the plan is to do the second survey amongst Australian homeopaths. So yeah, we have lots of different projects. Okay. I've just been writing furiously notes as you're going, because you've just blown my mind. Okay. So I just want to check a couple of things. So anyone can join Auron Project. So you can be a member of the public, right? I think, yes, if I'm correct yeah, okay. in saying this, yes, I think, you have, <laughs> okay. yeah, I think you're a member Excellent. of the public, but I think the criteria is also to either have a keen interest in homeopathy yes. because it's all about research in homeopathy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, members okay. can join, but I'm sure there's like application process to okay. go through. Very, very and I was going to put a warning label there on their book barn on their website because uh, I cannot go on there without spending, you know, a lot of money because they have amazing books. So just be warned before you go on there. They really have incredible books books. I actually have about five books in my cart on your website at the moment, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to add more. So I haven't paid for it yet because I'm like, I know there's going to be more that I want. Um, You mentioned about Similia. Can you just tell the, the public what that is? Yes, so Similia is a journal uh, published by AHA, and <laughs> it's a journal that comes out a few times a year. And mm-hmm. so homeopaths tend to use it as a platform to publish their case series, their case mm-hmm. analysis, their small research projects or book reviews or whatever mm-hmm. it is, just to kind of inform others and about different mm-hmm. remedies, if there's been new remedies proven. Great. So it's just a great platform to use for homeopaths in Australia. And then you said about the UTI pod, urinary tract infections. Yes. So are you looking for more people? It seems to be such a big thing, urinary tract infections. And I always ask when I do my case taking, do you have a history of UTIs? And I would say 80% of the time, women will say yes. So how do people get involved with this? Because it's a retrospective study. So that's if they've had UTIs in the past, then they will fill out a questionnaire regarding that. Yes. So we're in the process of getting all the documents prepared, getting the ethics approval. And so we are planning to get in touch with homeopaths Mm -hmm. and ask if they would like to uh, be involved in this project. And so if a homeopath has some case analysis that they would like to include, then that's the way to get in touch. And the reason why we started is because it is, there is a gap in knowledge and it's so common. All of us felt that, you know, that we see a lot of clients who've Mm -hmm. had UTI, but then knowing that um, there's antibiotic resistance and that mm. this could be sort of, you know, people who've used a lot of antibiotics may no longer find them helpful. Mm. And that's especially where homeopathy can become helpful in, in mm. trying to minimize the recurrent UTIs. Mm. And so we will definitely keep you informed. Wonderful. As we have the study prepared. Yeah. Um, Hilary Dorian, who is like, I'm just the hugest fangirl. And she talks about the homeopathic remedy E. coli and coli bacillinum, the bowel knows it and how that's really useful yeah. for UTIs. And I've had really good success for those two oh, with amazing. especially recurring UTIs because E. coli is very persistent. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's, that's so amazing. And so 
what we expect to see um, with the case series analysis in the UTI pod. So we would love to be able to publish this in the future mm-hmm. in an academic journal. Um, but we will see that all those cases will be so different from each other, the way Absolutely. they were treated and their tests. And mm-hmm. again, it it's the it's highlighting how beautiful homeopathy is in helping so many different diverse symptoms, no matter what somebody goes through. Mm-hmm. And then meloscum contagiosum, which is the other one you mentioned. Oh my gosh, we I swear we never had that when I was a child. And these days it seems that so many children have it. And for some reason, a lot of my clients in Karatha have meloscum, a lot of the children. And meloscum can sometimes hang around for years. Uh, many of my clients before they came to me have had meloscum for a year, 18 months. It's really, really resistant and hangs on for quite a long time. I mean, we have some amazing homeopathic remedies to help and we can usually help a client very quickly, but are you able to give us some teasers on on what you think is behind the meloscum or do we have to wait for the research to come out? <laughs> we have to wait for the research to come out, but it's, uh, it's I, I'm not involved in the pod, but I know mm-hmm. that Celeste, who is there, Lindley uh, mm-hmm. from the Orem Project, they're working with the Indian homeopaths. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's also wonderful because we will have clinic experience from Australia as well as from India. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there will be a blog post coming out soon about this pod. So keep an eye out and you, oh, you can- Oh, very exciting. Excellent. I'm wondering as well, Sabina, if there's anything else that you'd like to share with us about why you think homeopathy is so amazing. What do you like about it and what? where do you see the strength in homeopathy? It's almost like where to start. Like homeopathy <laughs> is so wonderful. I, I grew up with this. I've always used this. I remember even when I was very little, I used to go to my mom and just asking like, oh, mom, you know, my throat is hurting or, you know, can I get some homeopathy? And I know I can see now how kids love it. But I also realized it's so hard to find another modality that can help with so many different emotional, mental, physical symptoms. And homeopathy can be used successfully with babies and animals and pets and, you know, no matter their size and no matter what they're going through, because we have those skills to be able to observe um, what's going on and trying to look for the root cause, which, as we know, a lot of medical doctors might not have the time to do. Mm. And so what we do as homeopaths is we really delve deep into the person's case history and understanding why do they have these symptoms and how can we minimize those with the help of using homeopathy, which we know is natural. It doesn't cause any side effects. It's it's just so easy to use. Um, and we constantly have new remedies um, being developed, which is amazing because in this current climate as well, we just have to use all of our tools that we have available to us. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage to try homeopathy rather than having immediately this effect of maybe that's not something I want to try. Mm -hmm. But I will also add that I have changed my perspective a little bit. I used to be very, very naive when I was younger, you know, thinking like, you know, homeopathy is going to save the world. And and now I just realized I love that we have so many different modalities of complementary alternative medicine, that it's really about the holistic help. So whatever works in terms of helping with different symptoms, I would really encourage to just keep trying, keep looking for whatever suits that particular person. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. As you were talking, you've just had a client pop up in my mind that came in on Monday this week. And I opened up a case file and I was like, I haven't seen you since March. What's happened the past seven months? And she said, well, I saw you in March and you gave me a remedy and I cried for three to five days. And 
realize that I need to talk about something really terrible that happened in my childhood. So then she went to a psychologist and spent, you know, some time there just delving through everything. And then she came back to me and she said, okay, I'm now ready (laughs) because she was completely new to homeopathy. She only came because I had really great results with a friend of hers who had a very long history of depression. So she came from a very medical model, came to see me in March and obviously didn't know what she was in for and then just had this really big emotional release and then realized, okay, she needs to go and delve. So it was wonderful that she could then go to another therapy. And I agree with you. I've changed my thinking a lot as well in that I think homeopathy complements all other modalities. It can work alongside everything else. And I also think it's not the be all and end all because we sometimes you need to go to that Cairo. You know, sometimes you need to go to the acupuncturist, go to your naturopath. If your diet's really horrible, the remedies are not going to work as well if you don't go sort out your diet. Whichever other therapy you think you need to use alongside a relationship counselor, maybe you just need a massage every week. <laughs> so use those other wonderful modalities. And um, that's why it's so wonderful that we still have choice. Homeopathy is different views yeah. alongside everything else hey yeah, yeah. but I, I love it I wouldn't do anything else um you know I see homeopathy uh, as my ikigai I don't know if uh, people have heard but in ikigai we really um focus on what is the mission what is the passion what does the world need um and so to me that's just ticks all my boxes you know and it's something I can do for a very long time and mm. I just love it so much Mm-hmm. And many homeopaths do practice into their 70s, 80s, even exactly. older, hey? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, Sabina, just before we finish off, I'm wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit about what homeopathy is like in Estonia. Yeah, so in Estonia, as we know, it's not a, it's not a big country, so um, with only 1.3 million inhabitants. And so we don't have any colleges and we don't have any pharmacies. But homeopathy has really, really grown in popularity over the last couple of years as a really suitable alternative. And I guess now we have about 20 homeopaths. <laughs> so, so it's grown. I think a couple of years ago, it was 10 homeopaths. And so it's really wonderful to see the interest in people because it's just mm-hmm. so, so limited, the options that we have in mm-hmm. Estonia. But also, unfortunately, homeopathy is not recognized by the government. So mm-hmm. Basically, it's also possible to read two books and say that they can help with homeopathy, you know, help others. So Mm -hmm. there's pros and cons about that. We do have about, yeah, 20 trained homeopaths. But I could see that it's growing in interest. So in Facebook, we have a couple of homeopathy groups and there's a lot of people supporting each other and asking advice. And so that's really, really good to see. And people are able to get hold of the um, homeopathic kits, first aid kits. And so they realize that their ability to use it is limited. So whenever they feel like they need to turn to someone with, you know, more complex issues or chronic illnesses, that that's when they go to a homeopath. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's so tricky because Helios uh, is not able to post out the remedies to Estonia. So I guess Romania and Estonia are the only countries in Europe. And of course, uh, with the Brexit as well. And so it's really difficult to get hold of remedies right now. So um, yeah, Estonia has made it really tricky even at the toll. So whenever it arrives, say a package from Germany or Finland or Latvia, the post, the toll, they actually check what's in it. Um, and so if it looks suspicious, they probably will not get it to the person. And so it's sad that this is the way because we really um, need to be able to get hold of the remedies. That's our mm-hmm. number one tool 
to actually help with homeopathy. And so there's there's definitely challenges involved, but I'm so pleased to see that it's growing in popularity mm-hmm. and people are aware. And we also have this acronym, which is TEAT, the tried everything else, try homeopathy. <laughs> and I guess that's so true for, for this current time and age. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I also had to giggle when you said about the custom stopping the parcels because those pillials do look dodgy. And every single time I import my pillials, I always have like a biosecurity little sticker that's in there to say your parcel has been opened for suspicious activity. <laughs> and I can just imagine when they're scanning the parcels and like, why is there like, you know, all these kilograms of white little pills in this box? <laughs> Yeah, they all look look the same. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wonderful. And I was going to tell you just a little funny story. I have the most incredible assistant, Kadri. I have another one. She's from Estonia and also Tanya, who's from Slovakia. And she texted me just a few days ago and she had found you online and she said, look at this amazing lady. And I think it was a, a photo of you in your bikini with the most toned body I have ever seen (laughs) (laughs) and homeopath, PhD research and super hot lady. (laughs) And she's like, you have to interview this lady that's from my country. And I said to her, well, you won't believe it. I'm chatting with her on Friday. So it's been just so incredible having you on today. Um, Can you tell our listeners how they can get hold of you and the work that you do? Yes, so I work in um, Sydney, in Northern Beaches, specifically in Brookvale, in the Harvard Homeopathic Clinic, which has been open for 30 years um, and run by Lindley Jordan. And it's it's really a beautiful, amazing place to work at. So we do have a receptionist, a couple of receptionists, actually. So people can get hold of our clinic on the website and uh, calling to the clinic. Um, I work part-time as, as I've, uh, as you've heard, I also work as a researcher. So I'm dividing my time in between those two mm-hmm. um, places, but I also have a website, um, which is www.svhomeopathy.com. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And just for a little bit of fun at the end, what's your three remedies that you could not live without? Wow. <laughs> Out of 8,000 remedies. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> a your, hard top, task. your top three my and top. why? Number one, uh, if I had to pick anything, would be Arnica. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I think that's the remedy I've used the most and I've prescribed uh, the most for any traumatic um, injury, falls, bruises, before the dentist, whatever it is. Arnica would definitely be my number one. It's such a beautiful remedy. I love everything about it. I love where it's come from. It's a plant that grows in the Alps and I guess if people haven't heard about homeopathy, very often they've heard of Arnica and the Traumel gels and creams and all that, that it's just so, so popular. It's definitely a number one remedy um, for me. My other two, I would say are tricky. It's really tricky. I would say, <laughs> I, I would say aconite. Aconite is just beautiful for fear. I found it quite helpful um, uh, nowadays with the sort of, um, with whatever people are going through because it's the fear, it's the shock, it's the terror, and it just helps so beautifully in the moment to kind of ease with the mental health, with the fears, anxieties, whatever it is. And it's just it's just another amazing plant remedy. Mm-hmm. And my third one, 
it's it's so funny. I will probably say natrium muriaticum mm-hmm. for um, a bit of constitutional um, remedy. It's it's maybe a huge general generalization, but knowing how Estonians are, it's definitely been a very popular remedy to give out in kind of Nordic countries mm-hmm. because the Estonians are very, very reserved and very mm-hmm. proper and they are very close. They keep whatever they're going through to themselves, like they don't mm-hmm. want to cry in front of mm-hmm. others. And so that remedy has actually changed so many people's lives. And mm-hmm. it's a remedy that my mom gave to me when I was, when I was a teenager. Aww. And I couldn't believe the difference it made um, in me. And I, I actually didn't realize that it was the remedy that had made the difference. It was years later that I look back um, how much it it changed my life because I was somebody who was very shy and reserved and not really like acting out or anything, Mm -hmm. just being, you know, there. And I had this remedy over the summer. And as soon as I came back to school, I joined all of the societies. I was in the school journal. I was in all sorts of... (laughs) organizations I was active I was doing so much and I didn't realize it was the remedy but uh, it was just years later that I could see that it's unbelievable just one dose of natural muriaticum can change someone's life so drastically Mm. and isn't it mind-blowing that it's a remedy made from good old table salts sodium chloride and then potentize it and turn it magically into a homeopathic remedy and release all that mental emotional spiritual symptom pictures of this remedy so i love that fascinating what a great great way to end this podcast off thank you so much for your time i have so enjoyed this and um, all the best with your research and let me know if i can ever be of help thank you so much i really enjoyed uh, chatting to you and i would love to stay in touch and help yeah (laughs) absolutely thank you so much have a great day thank you so much you too thank you cool